All right, well, welcome to the episode five of the What's on the Line podcast with CCA Maryland. My name is David Sikorsky, the executive director of CCA Maryland, and your host tonight. We are hanging out back at Sean Kimbrough's garage for some shop talk tonight at uh, Fisherman's Inn. I had a giant flounder platter that was fantastic. Man, I, don't, I think you ate like a third of that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I ate one and left. a quarter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it was a beautiful flounder platter at the uh, Fisherman's Inn. We had a great group of folks come out and listen to John Page Williams, the longtime Chesapeake Bay Foundation senior naturalist, give a talk about submerged aquatic vegetation or underwater bay grasses. What a great talk it was, too, man. I, I could listen to John Page talk all the time. Absolutely. I mean, his, he is so knowledgeable. And I just want to, like, you know, try to absorb some of that knowledge so I get to, you know, so I can get a little bit of it and relay it back. But it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, incredible. I was talking about what a rockfish or something, or and I, was, I don't remember what the heck I was talking about, but it's so neat with him because he knows so much. It's like you say one thing and it triggers this whole other uh, talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, with our chapter meetings, we try and have good talks that folks want to find, you know, learn about fishing and learn about the topics that they care about and, and the issues we work on at CCA. But, uh, you know, when you, you start talking about this stuff and you learn about how the system's connected and all the science behind it and the ecology and all that, for me, it makes you so much a, a so much better angler. Yeah, it does. Think about the nuts you, and bolts. And, and you don't even realize it. Yeah. It sneaks in. And and suddenly you're like, all of a sudden you're fishing down a bank and you turn into a, a grass bed and you're like, oh yeah, I remember now, this is a good place to use that weedless spoon and you throw it and suddenly you're catching and nobody else is catching and, and that's where it comes from. It's when the light bulb goes off. Yeah, it's it's organic. Yeah, so I and, mentioned we're in uh, Sean Kimbrough's shop and John Page was going to join us tonight but had to head out. He's got an early day on the water tomorrow, so of course we're here with Sean and and Adam Smith, uh, he's joined us today, another CCA member. who came over from uh, Southern Anne Arundel County, right? Yes, sir. To hang out. Adam's hell of a fisherman, man. <laughs> I, mean, I fish with Adam a lot, and I'm telling you, he knows his stuff. He is right at home out there. Thank you, Sean. Good stuff. <laughs> well, was, we were talking about ducks a little bit tonight, and, uh, of course, grasses are so important to waterfowl in the Chesapeake. And um, I've been a waterfowler and a duck nerd for a long time, and, um, that also taught me a lot about fishing. I, there's some spots I duck hunt that have a lot of grasses, and I fish them a lot because I learn them when I duck hunt. Yeah. And to see that, like, multi-seasonality, if that's even a thing, of these spots is really cool for me. And, you know, people could learn a lot from the habitats that these other animals have to use. Yeah, John Page does a good job of tying in the duck hunting thing and the fishing and the bay grasses thing. And I never even realized that until he did that here in the shop six months ago. He he tried that talk out here, and it was fantastic. I'm like, yeah, man, we got to do that. And he's took it on the road since then. I didn't even realize there was 15 species of grass in in the bay. Yeah, and what do you say, six that you really should even care about because they're most common and... Yeah, yeah, and it, it's neat. I mean, the waterfowling heritage, of course, everything else in the bay with fish-related and crab and oyster, you name it, it's all connected. It's a system, and, you know, we were talking about the, the the pieces of the system that are broken, and, you know, it's a huge population, and there's also all sorts of different issues we have that we're trying to fix, and, um, you know, I was talking a little bit t- uh, tonight about the connection of oysters and filtering the water and removing nitrogen and what the plants are doing, and the more and more you talk about it, and of course I get the 
uh, as part of my, my job, go around doing, doing the reef ball building and working with students. And one of the presentations we give when we're doing that work is talking to them and making them think about the system, about the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And, you know, all this science and all these studies and all this information is so valuable to folks to better understand yeah. the greater impact that we have as a whole, but the personal impact. Well, I think that's kind of, that's one of the points John Page made tonight, and it's one of the things that strikes home with me more than anything else is this synergistic relationship between the oysters and the grasses and the water quality and the fishermen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fish and then the fishermen. So ultimately, it's all related. And so humans are predators. We've always there's always been human predation on the on the bay. Well, maybe not always, but for you know as long as there is recorded history and and back through prehistory, there's always been human predation. We're part of the ecosystem. Yep. So that has to be figured in always, and at some point there's a responsibility that goes with that. But on the other hand, you know what? You got to figure out that people are going to catch fish, we're and we're going to keep getting better and better and better at it. But it's all tied in. The bay grass, the oysters, it's all tied in. That's why yeah. I love that talk. You got to get back to get. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I say catching fish and using them and you know, using any resource, a renewable resource, is just like money. If you want to dumb it down to the most simple level, you know, you you need it. And it's it's an important thing that you're going to use, but as long as you use it wisely, you know, you invest wisely, um, would be the same thing as using the resource wisely. And yeah. we just have to fix all that, and, and, and we are. I think... Um, in doing the work I get to do, and thanks to the support of great members like you guys and, and all the folks that are engaged in this this conversation, because we're passionate. We love to fish. We love the outdoors. And I urge people to look at the things we have in common, because guess what? Those fish are what we have in common. Yeah, that water is what absolutely. we have in common. And it's easy to get down and get frustrated because it is a complicated process. But reality is I think we as a society are doing a pretty good job of, of caring and trying to make it different, whether no matter how you use the resource. And I'm an eternal optimist, I guess, but you, and you have to be in sometimes in this, in this stuff if you want to actually succeed. And that's seeing a guy like John Page who's been at it for so long is inspiring yeah. as can be. And, yeah, John Page getting ready to move to Richmond. Uh, and uh, he's retiring from the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. He says that he wants to be just as active as always with CCA. And I have no doubt, and probably he'll be even more active now. Yeah. And uh, if any place needs more of a uh, conservationist uh, group uh, and, and a, a, converse, a conservationist outlook, it's that Richmond area down there. There's a lot of great fishermen down there and a lot of fishermen who have the same kind of attitude that the CCA folks here in Maryland do, that we do, but uh, they, they're just not organized yet. I have a feeling John Page is going to fix that when he gets down there. Absolutely. Won't surprise me a bit. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. So we were, uh, it's it's July, early July. It's hot out. I keep getting bit by mosquitoes. And <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm just too sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Is that sweet? I don't think that's it. I've got to drink some more uh, Willet Rye here. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight is being brought to you by a Willet Rye Old Fashioned. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly and Ed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's hot, right? And we I talked about it tonight a little bit, and I think there's a lot of great information out there um, on this stuff, but not enough anglers know it. And so CCA and many other groups are going to be hopefully working together, including the Department of Natural Resources, to better educate folks on the impacts of hot water 
different salinity levels and, and all that on catch and release survivability or just our impact on the fish. And um, there's a lot of conversation about all that on the striped bass, and I think we're definitely going to get heavy on that here in the next in, in some episodes shortly because, um, you know, this, this podcast, as I've said in the past, is, is talking about fishing and the policy and the work that CCA does on the, on the management f- side is, is an absolute part of fishing. Um, but for now, as the hot water's getting, getting up there and folks are concentrated on, on these schools of fish that are in the upper bay, um, it, it's time for folks to, to think about laying off, um, not catching and releasing these fish, not going out there and catching a whole bunch just to have some fun. You know, if you get out there and you catch a limit of fish, great, go home or go off and, and catch something else. Yeah. And right. we do have a lot of alternatives to, to rockfish. Yeah. Yep. Dude, man, this is it, perch fishing is off the hook this year on the Chesapeake. And well, frankly, it usually is in the summer. And but this year it's particularly good. And I'm seeing I, I mean, thanks to social media, I'm seeing more and more reports, you know, about big perch and people want to talk about perch more and more. And it, 13 inch, 14 inch perch. Yeah, nice black backs. Yeah, not that unusual this year. Well, and 14 is a citation for a white perch. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. And that's a that's a big white perch. <laughs> it takes a big white perch to get 14 inches. Not as big as that flounder fillet I had tonight. But <laughs> was... I've caught two perch that I think were 14 inches. I have one in my life. that was off a dock in the South River yeah. this time of year. Yeah. Waiting to go rock fishing. I was throwing a spinner on an ultralight. Yeah, and uh, it was fourteen and a quarter. Nice, yeah. nice. One. They're not easy to come by, that's for sure. So, Sean, you uh, as an an author, and uh, for folks that don't know about Sean, he came to the Chesapeake area from from Tennessee, as you can probably hear in his voice. <laughs> I'm trying to hide that accent. I don't know if I'm getting away with it or not. It's going to take more more old fashions. <laughs> Might get thicker with those. Yeah, it's going to get thicker. But, you know, Sean, um, as we talked about in one of the, the first podcasts we did, he, you know, Sean's quote was, uh, man, I came to the Chesapeake Bay and the place was like Disneyland. And that's how I looked at it. And uh, mm-hmm. since then has written uh, three books, uh, Chesapeake Ta- Light Tackled the Books. Um, so um, a series. And the most recent one is Chesapeake Panfish. And, and of course, perch are one of those, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, so a lot of times people think about panfish as winter fish. You know, we think about yellow perch in the winter and, and white perch runs in the, in the creeks and crappy and bluegill. And, and that's great because I love catching them in the winter time, but we are in prime time right now for big white perch. And there's plenty of yellow perch around too, and uh, and crappy still. There's still plenty of crappy. I say crappy. A lot of people say crappie. <laughs> if you say crappie, you have to put <laughs> yeah, your finger up right. or pinky up. Yeah, when that's when right. You drink. It's like uh, what was it? What was the girl's name? Morgan, who did that on the uh, <laughs> in the hockey game. You know, when she be- when they beat the British. Uh, so yeah, uh, you say crappie, I say crappy. <laughs> you mean soccer? Yeah. Oh, does say <laughs> it's, it's hockey when the rink melts. Hockey. <laughs> That, Sorry. That's one species that I fight tooth and nail to Let's not with. talk it's about Willie. What's that? Crappy. crappy? Yeah, they kick my butt. They're, they're, I'll tell tough. you, man, they're a finicky little bugger. Oh, man. I, we got to go crappy fishing. I, I've talked to you about it yeah. a few times. I'm like, man, I, I'm getting my butt whooped. Dude, so you're, I, you're I admitting have, you're a crappy, crappy fisherman? Yep. Okay. I have crappy fished all my life, and and because when I grew up, we were around the TVA lakes in Tennessee, and those lakes go down in the wintertime, and they start coming back up, and so there's all these old stumps and stuff, and tree foundations, and house foundations and stuff, and the crappy would just like 
just school around all of those foundations. And you got to be really good at fishing for them because, frankly, that was all you could catch that time of year. Uh, and so we got really good at fishing for them. And it took me a while to figure them out up here. It, it didn't take me a while to figure out the crappy. It took me a while to figure out the tidal influence on crappy. Right. Because t- crappy are a lot like rockfish. You know how you, when, when the tides slack, rockfish go to sleep. You just might as well go to the bar or something. Shuts off like a light switch. Yeah, right. You're not going to catch them. I mean, you might catch one or two every once in a while, but it's not even worth the effort. Tidal panfish are the same way, especially crappy. White perch, yellow perch, they're the same way. <laughs> they're, they especially relate to tidal movements. Well, and are, you always hear about crappy over, uh, over structure. Mm-hmm. You talk about those foundations in the TVA lakes. Is that something that you key into here, even in the tidal areas? Or? Yeah, so a lot of people um, have a misperception about crappie and that they think that they're relating to the uh, the tree limbs and the overhanging branches and stuff like that. When crappie spawn, they look for sandy bottoms or gravelly bottoms where they can build nests. And and so they they actually don't string their eggs on those limbs like yellow perch do. They build nests and lay their eggs in nests, and there are actually indentations on the bottom. You can see them, uh, and so they lay their eggs in there, and then uh, and then they guard. I mean, they don't really guard the nest, but they lay the eggs there, and but they stay around those nests from then on. But they like to have a canopy over their heads. They like to have some limbs above them, or that some trees above them, or something like that. And that's how you find them. Hmm is that you need to find a sandy bottom or a gravelly bottom with something above them. <laughs> and if you even find that, doesn't matter if it's in a tidal creek or in a farm pond or wherever you are, that's uh, that's where you catch crappie. No kidding. Yeah. I, I caught my first one in Maryland at a, a farm off the chop tank uh, above Dover Bridge. And a, and a, there's a farm pond and then a spillway, and then that spillway was influenced by tide on high tides kind of in this marshy area along the chop tank. And uh, I thought I was perch fishing. And yeah. I was fishing on a creek nearby, and then we had some minnows and a bobber and a shad dart, you know, or a little jig head. And I'm striking out on the perch, caught a couple small yellow perch, it just wasn't happening. And so I went over to this farm pond and cast it in the farm pond a little bit, and the bass weren't really waking up yet, and they, you know, it was a little cold. And then I started throwing into this little spillway pond, and cast after cast after cast after cast started catching crappy and just went huh. <laughs> never caught these before and, they are. you know years yeah. and years ago and it was cool as can be and i i remember that it was they were in that one spot they weren't in another and yeah. you know that's one and of the first times i caught a lot of beautiful them. fish oh yeah and so uh, in down way down south and our my family's from south georgia originally and uh they call them speckled perch so like a white perch but speckled <laughs> and i like that yeah. i like that very much and losing in of their sakale uh which which means sack of milk huh. in uh, in french and uh in in the couple of meanings for that is one is they're just delicious to eat and the other is like great. when they're spawning you know you catch a big male crappy it's just like <laughs> there's milk going everywhere and uh, and they're fun to catch, but you know we got so many great panfish species here, and not just crappy, but you know, white perch, man, white perch, yellow perch in the spring. So yellow perch are schooled up in the spring, and they spread out this time of year. But we still can catch them this time of year. 
but uh, you know, I, I haven't I haven't cracked the code of how to catch yellow perch consistently in the summer, and I don't know anybody who has. And I've had this conversation with some of the best pan fishermen in the area, including you know Jay Esker and Tom O'Connell, and yeah, I had the uh, same conversation with Joe. Yeah, Joe, Joe Yak, yeah, uh, what a great pan fisherman he was. And, you know, where are they in the summer? We don't know where they are. They're spread out. They I vanish. just think they're spread out, yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, the white perch, they're right where we want them to be, right off the docks. All you got to do is walk off any dock in the Chesapeake Bay and throw a beetle spin right now, and you will catch a white perch. <laughs> yep. So the white perch, yellow perch are spawning a little bit earlier, right, and kind of right. come up th- certain rivers yeah so the the yellow perch spawn a lot earlier than most people think they do and one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're fishing for yellow perch in the winter time is they start too late and because they usually think that they it's the first pretty day at the end of march when people start thinking about yellow perch Mm -hmm. well guess what they have already spawned and they're spreading out by that time where they when the really time to get out and search for yellow perch is the end of January, first two weeks of February. You, you say that, and I, I uh, came over the shore and did a little trespassing in January. You need to stay on your side of the bay, man. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a great day. We got to increase the tolls for for you <laughs> Western Shore guys. Had, had a, we had a had a great day uh, bank fishing. Yeah. And, you know, probably caught three or four dozen yellow perch. When was that? What time of year? It was late January. Yeah. Like now, do you see bigger ones early? Yes. And it peters off. It's just of? like with stripers. Yeah. The bigger ones are the earliest. And so I like to, st- I start in Southern Maryland. And I mean, I'm, I might be giving away too much here, but I start in Christmas time. <laughs> I mean, first week after Christmas and the first week in January, that's when I get the biggest yellow perch. And down in the Pocomoke River, around Snow Hill, Snow Hill Maryland, down in the Nanticoke. Mm-hmm. That's when the big ones... So they're not shallow. They're in the deepest holes of the creek. They're staging to spawn at that time, but it's still the big fish. So by the biggest holes in the creek, what I mean is the deepest holes in the creek is like if uh, everybody knows about the Lapidum bite up in the Susquehanna, and if you can go out in the Lapidum in January and February and cast off the docks there in 70 feet of water, you catch fish. Well, the Susquehanna is a really deep river, so transfer that to the Pocomoke or the Nanticoke or any of those uh, southern Maryland rivers. Look for those deepest holes. And the deepest hole might be 17 feet or it might be 12 feet. Mm-hmm. But that's what you're looking for is those deep holes where they're staging. And that's where you'll get your biggest ones. I, frankly, uh, I was fishing with uh, Kevin Josenhans last, uh, last year, second week in January. And we were getting some gigantic yellow perch, the biggest I've ever seen, uh, in seven feet of water. Yeah, that Pocomoke River down there where Kevin fishes is just—it's an incredible fish, beautiful place, and pickerel too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. the biggest, biggest pickerel. They grouped up together pretty good when they get in those deeper holes in the river. Yeah, so not really thickly grouped up uh, early. Although you you know you get the biggest ones early, but they're not as thick as they are a little bit later when they're not running as big, but they're a little bit thicker. Um, but they still you know they're still pretty thick uh, during that time. So is there a is that kind of deep water stuff? What's your tackle technique on that one? So there's a lot of ways you can go, and you can't go wrong with a bull minnow on a bear, you know, 
for uh, J-Hook. You'll catch them. But I just, you know, I'm always like spur of the moment fishing, and I always want to go when I can go, and I don't always have bait. So I like to use small, soft plastic lures, and it's it's all about the um, the amplitude and frequency of the bait. So those busting baits, um, uh, stingers. stingers, stingers, yeah. yeah, they have a really fast frequency wobble. And in that time of year, there's just something about those that just turns the fish on. And, and there's some other, you know, similar baits to those. But every once in a while, they want something really slow. And that's when you want to use like a twister tail grub or something like that. So you just kind of got to experiment. But I love soft plastics that time of year. And I usually rig them as a tandem rig, uh, two lures, maybe two 16th ounce or a 16th ounce and a 32 ounce and throw them out. Uh, because when they're deep, you need to get, you need to drag that lure pretty deep close to the bottom when they move shallower that's when i go to float and fly but that time of year yeah you know, i'm mostly using a tandem rig with soft plastics so as the uh white perch follow in in the spawn right a little bit later and not every river is going to have both you know there's some that do but some don't yeah. right a lot of them do though yeah. and uh and so that's that's the glory of it is first we get the yellow perch and then we get with the white perch and then we get the crappy, and then we get the shad, and sometimes the shad before the crappy, and then we get the bluegill, and then, and then we got one spawn after another. And the bluegill, frankly, it, this is July; they just stopped spawning. I was on them three weeks ago. If you can catch that overlap when the yellow perch are coming out and the white perch are coming in, you get you'll get both of them at the same time. Yeah, you can yeah. get them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get a whole mix mixed bag. Throw a pickerel in there. Yeah, and, and and so that's the big bonus is the pickerel fishing. I had more fun pickerel fishing this year than ever before. Well, we were John Page talked about that a little bit tonight. Uh, mentioned that like rivers like the Severn and the Magathy around Annapolis haven't been doing very well. Yeah, they haven't. I don't and know why. They've always been up and down, I think, but it yeah. seems like this is a pretty low kind of low, and yeah. um, it also it seems like there's decent pickerel, and they're not really low at all on, on some of the shorter rivers or shore impoundments and stuff so. it's almost like their loss is our gain because yeah. uh, for as many as are lacking on the western shore we it's been so good here on the eastern shore yeah well t- and talking about crappy and pickerel um i got an invite from a buddy that has a reservoir rig in lock raven and i live up on the north side of baltimore and i'm like man you know i've driven by this place a million times i have never fished there and and got to go fishing and, and it was a little bit late for the for the good kind of early season pre-spawn bass stuff that he had been doing for a while, catching some big fish. And, you know, he, he sent me some pictures of pickerel earlier. And I thought, man, I didn't ever realize they were there. <laughs> I just didn't know a thing about the whole reservoir, you know, yeah. except for, you know, the gunpowder above it. Um, so we went out and I was, I had just gotten a new fly rod. Uh, JLS custom rods made me and a little six weight. And man, I was throwing a flashy little fly and I was wearing out the pickerel. I mean, just wearing them out every, and my the guy I'm fishing was like, dude, what the heck? Like, <laughs> he's not catching a thing on the bank. Of course, he's throwing big stuff for big bass, and he threw a, a crankbait in this one cove and pulled out a crappie bigger than I've ever seen. I mean, it was like forearm sized, you know, from. We did fish the South River a few weeks ago, and uh, we had pickerel, yellow perch, and white perch all in uh, three, four foot of water, fishing the structure in the banks. Using beetle spins, perch pounders, uh, small plastic grubs. 
So it did have a pretty good day over there. Yeah. It was one pickerel, one yellow perch. Well, CCA has the pickerel tournament in the winter, and yep. this is the first year that I really got into it. And I really got into it this year, man. And we we I'll get fish it. With you, so I don't get yep. to fish with Adam too much for pan fish in the winter. But we got out this year, and uh, we were. I mean, this is a podcast, and so I don't know how many people are listening. So I'm not afraid to talk about spots. But we were we were fishing Idlewild, which is uh, that's right on the Maryland Delaware border, uh, not too far from Federalsburg, Maryland. And uh, we got back in there, man. We hit a pond with some huge pickerel yep. in it, didn't we? It was great. <laughs> Well, your little tip on talking about that spot <laughs> sent me over there one day, and I caught some nice crappie and yeah. was sending you pictures. I almost fell in the water, um, but took enough <laughs> home for the frying pan, and, and uh, it is really amazing how many cool little spots there are out there. That place, that place must like uh, people falling in the water, because I think somebody else was <laughs> in the water when we were there. Well, well, all right, did we have to bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you mentioned uh, Sandy Bottom. I think some of those, are those sand yeah. and gravel bar They are. They're quarries? sand pits. They, yeah. There was a sand mine and gravel mine there back in the 1920s and and then uh the the uh, company that owned it donated to maryland dnr and it became a uh, eventually became a national i mean a natural a state wildlife management area yeah, yeah. you got to be careful when it's deer season there because yeah. there's a lot of deer hunters back there and i don't like to go back there and you know mess up the deer hunters and stuff but yeah. once deer season's out it's a great time to go back there and pickerel fish and it's a really interesting fish. place it was my first time back there with sean and it's really good, really good place. You gotta like walking. Yeah. Have you run into any snakeheads there? No. Yeah. Uh, God, I hope they keep them out of there. Yeah, because I think they're. It's right at the edge. The marshy hopes right over the. Yeah. So you know. they're in the marshy hope. Okay. And the marshy hope floods into those gravel pits, and it won't surprise me if we get snakeheads in there at some point. Yeah. But right now, pickerel are king. Yeah. And uh, and and there's some huge pickerel in there. It'll hey, be interesting to see that kind of dynamic there because. I mean, pickerel's a pretty tough predator. And, yeah, I know. You know, snakeheads are no chump, but... Yeah, that's right. You know, the... Eh, man, they're spreading out like crazy. They were but. eating good that day. A couple of the fish we caught still had, uh, I guess it was bluegill or small crappie or something in its belly. Yeah, oh, they, they, they were moving in the belly. You could see the fish still alive <laughs> that they had just eaten yeah, no before kidding. they ate our lures, and they were moving in the belly. Nice, And we nice. caught them right when they turned on, and uh, Adam got... What was that one? That was 25, 26 yeah, inches, wasn't 25, it, you caught? Yeah. Another, I got a 26 So 24 day. is a citation on them, so yeah. you didn't get your little yeah, award yet, turn had, it in. I had two out of there, and I went back several times after that and had... Uh, a couple of 26, 27-inch fish after that, out of that. They fight That's like a hell. big chain pickerel, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's, those are beautiful fish. So what's your, uh, are they, are you, do you find them to be triggered by a certain type of situation? I mean, is it a weather thing? Is it a, are they like any other fish, there's a certain pressure changes and Man, I wish I knew. Temperatures? <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew. So I, here's what I do know is they're territorial. They stake out a spot, and plus they're big, dumb fish, and you can catch the same fish two or three times. And even the same day sometimes. I've got the same fish on the same day before. And so if you know where a big fish lives, you can go back and you might be able to catch him again. Yeah. Um, and so, I, but I don't know what turns them on and off. I wish I knew. Yeah. But yeah, I've know. heard the same thing about some of the tidal rivers and experienced it, I guess. And, yeah. you know, certain docks where you're going to catch a fish, you're probably going to catch one there next time or yeah. maybe not the same day. But with the tidal rivers, especially stuff like creeks off the Magathy and the Severn, you get, of course, more water in the creek at high tide and less at low tide, so the fish are maybe just up the up the dock a little yeah. bit or up the bank a little bit and then back down a little deeper in the deeper hole at low tide, and that's something for anglers to think about. 
That's right, and that that holds true for a rockfish or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. it's usually when the high tide they're going to be up in the grass. They're going to be up in the in in the highest levels, and then look for the secondary ledges when the low tide and, and when the tide is low because that's when that's where they'll be hanging out. Same with rockfish. When so, you say secondary ledges, a lot of people look for drastic changes. Sometimes it's only a foot or two when you're looking for a secondary ledge. Yeah, that's right. um, it, it's not. You know, when you say it took a long time for me to get my head wrapped around that, when you say secondary ledge, you could go from two foot, three foot of water, your secondary ledge is going to be four foot, five foot of water. Yeah, exactly. Oh, drink break. <laughs> Thank you, bartender. <laughs> I had to refill the glasses I think there you spilled, for a minute. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Oh, well, man. I'm Lick sorry your about shirt. That. <laughs> That's right, but it, chain pickerel is one of my favorite species, man. I love them, and we're lucky to have them here in Maryland. And God, I hope the snakeheads don't chase them out. Yeah, because yeah. That, others would that. disagree with that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, some people would. I agree. I'll but. tell you, man. Just like the fishing community, to, to disagree and argue and well, in debate, I think it's healthy in most cases. I think it is too. For I, most I love it. Yeah. I mean, I love watching guys <laughs> yuck it up, and then you know, I, I've seen so many guys. Yeah. And gals, yeah, you know, are not afraid to debate this stuff. And then mm. years later, they realize it was all stupid. And they're buddies yeah. again. It's you know, all it's, it's all small peanuts to begin with, anyway. Yeah. You yeah, look man. at the big picture of things. Yeah, it's all the competition, and frankly, that's what drives us to go fishing sometimes. That yeah, that's that right. fun and that excitement <laughs> about what's next. You yeah, know? I try to do better than Sean every time I go out. <laughs> you know, good luck with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, man. You always kick my ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know about that. So I when sure is... as hell try, I can tell you that. Uh, the uh, So when the perch come off the of spawn, we heard the yellows kind of dissipate and disappear. The whites spread out everywhere, right? So they're kind of... Yeah, so right now the whites are in the creeks. I mean, it, so they're shallow, I and mean, that's the key for white perch right now. Shallow structure that gets current. They love oyster bars, and and frankly, that's a good way to find big rockfish right now is feeding on, mm-hmm. on white perch on the oyster bars. If you can find a shellfish bar in 17, 16, you know, 18 feet of water where white perch are, that's your best chance for getting a big uh, rockfish. Yeah, yeah, they're basically a structure-oriented bait fish. That's right. Maybe yeah, if you're are. a little further south or in different spots, it might be a spot or a croaker. Yeah. I mean, it's a structure-oriented smaller fish. Exactly. That, a reef yeah. is a reef is a reef. And, yep. you, you yep. know, we caught a, a pretty juvenile black drum yesterday, last night. Uh, one of the guys on my boat got one. It's just a beautiful fish. I mean, it's a 15-pound fish. But it, we were fishing for rockfish and perch on an oyster bar. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings those fish in is the structure, is that, that live hard bottom, as John Page calls same, it. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what I was talking about going around to uh, to schools and the Living Reef Action Campaign. And um, we have a little poster that shows the system. And we are. Oh, she caught a, she caught a mouse. <laughs> All right. Go kitty. <laughs> Cat caught a mouse right in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> She could, she deserves a shot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> she got it. Cheap entertainment, folks. That's right. Good rye whiskey and a cat and a mouse. <laughs> oh, now it's got a roach or something. Oh, look at that. No, it's, it's, no, still it's a, a mouse. mouse. Yeah. She's uh, she's wounded it now. So cats are so cruel. <laughs> Love it. Love I can't it. watch. 
<laughs> You're a big softy, Kim. Can't watch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was, I was so we have, <laughs> we've got this, we've got this poster uh, that we made up to, to to explain to folks the ecosystem that that you're talking about, and and uh, it's it's actually from a scientific study plus just common sense and knowledge that we we have about the bay, and uh, it says oyster is the foundation of all life in the Chesapeake because humans yeah. are the our predator, you know, we're a harvester and and part of the system and. Everything down to the little worms and tunicates right. and little sea squirt things. You know, you catch the little sea grape looking things. Um, anemones, they all filter. They all feed other animals. Life begets life. It does. Uh-huh. It does. And even on that on that uh, chart, because of my like waterfowl background, we've got I've got ducks on there and talk to folks about stuff like the long tailed duck. It used to be called an old squall. Scoters, sea ducks. I, I think I saw in a study years ago that fifty four percent of the old squall or long tailed ducks diet is the hook muscle that grows on an oyster reef or other hard oh, surfaces. Yeah? yeah. So they dive down, they rip that muscle off, and that's yeah. that's dinner. That makes sense. And that's the same kind of stuff that's living down there that the perch are eating, the little worms that are messing around. I mean, how many people have taken a, an oyster, shucked it, and then had you know, a little red worm swim out the side or, <laughs> or crawl out the side of the uh, <laughs> yeah. the shell? And, right. You know, of course, you get people squeal about it and won't eat it. But um, other little pea crabs, you, you name it. It's live hard bottom. So the perch yeah. are moving up. Uh, yeah, perch are shallow right now, and so we're getting some really nice perch shallow. Uh, and but you know, frankly, my favorite species this time of year is the bluegill, and so the sunfish species. So, and so I, we tend to characterize every sunfish as a bluegill, but they're not. Bluegill is a specific type of sunfish, but bluegill, red ear sunfish, uh, pumpkin seed sunfish, uh, green sunfish. Uh, there, there's so many different types here in the Chesapeake. There's, I don't know, there's at least seven, eight types that we can go out there and catch right now. And they all behave just a little bit differently. But I, I'm stoked right now because I caught my personal best um, red ear sunfish. We call them shell crackers uh, the, in the south. And I, and I guess they call them that everywhere. But uh, that's a red ear sunfish. I fish for them all my life, all around the south. Last time I fished with Lefty Cray, I was fortunate enough to fish with Lefty Cray the last time he fished on the Chesapeake Bay. And we had a 30-minute conversation about shellcrackers. And he, my, his, you know how Lefty was. He always had his quotes about everything. And my favorite line from him about shellcrackers was, if shellcrackers got as big as rockfish, they'd jump in the boat and bust your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the truth because they are a badass fish. They're just mean. Now, are and, they eating little like freshwater clams and mussels and stuff? Yeah, the reason they call them shell crackers yeah. is because they feed on the bottom and they eat freshwater clams, mussels. Well, they they can tolerate salinity too. Okay. And so they're I, I don't know what their salinity tolerance is, but it's pretty high compared to some sunfish. And so they've had a foothold in Maryland. I guess they're invasive. I don't know if you could really call them invasive, but uh, I mean DNR stocks them in the lakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they've been here for at least thirty years. And, and there's some lakes around and some of the upper reaches of the tidal streams that have some really big shell crackers. And I've been chasing them all my life, and I caught my personal best three weeks ago. In, in Maryland. <laughs> in Maryland. How big? 13 inches. Wow. I don't know. I, I thought it was three pounds when I caught it. Yeah. 
And I mean, the state record is 2.2 pounds and I carried it around in my live well for about two hours and I kept looking at it and it kept looking worse and worse. I'm like, I'm not going to kill this fish just to bring <laughs> it in. So, yeah. so I turned it loose. I don't know if it was three pounds. I don't even know if it was a state record, but it was a big ass fish. <laughs> and they, uh, I'll tell you, man, I, I think that I, th- I saw a picture of that fish and, 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 uh, it's almost like they get that big, and it's almost like their face doesn't match the rest of their body. No, it, it's they look like a deformed fish. Or yeah, something, yeah. Right? That's what any any fish that gets the trophy size, even with the bigger rockfish. When you see yeah. a true fifty inch rockfish, it's a yeah. totally different creature. Oh, that's yeah. a good point. Than, oh, yeah. than a forty five inch rockfish yeah. or a forty six inch rockfish. Yeah, it, it it's just a totally different beast. When you see it in person. Yeah, it's breathtaking it, when you it, see it in person. You're like, what? Yep. Can you believe that? It's the same with white perch. You catch a 14-inch white perch, it doesn't even look like a white perch nope. anymore. Well, it's just like us. You, you know, you get taller and taller and taller, and then that stops, and you start getting wider and uh, wider and wider. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like John telling you to stand up tonight. <laughs> yeah, can you believe he did that? Stand he said, up, could John. could you imagine like, Sean you eating 13,000 calories a day? You look at the... Uh, it's like, I passed 13,000 calories at 8 a.m. this morning <laughs> <laughs> the uh look at this uh nutrition facts on this rye whiskey <laughs> that i keep yeah, talking no. about <laughs> <laughs> let's don't <laughs> that's a whole nother that's an whole nother kind of love right there yeah. i was I in uh, talk about that i was in talkerman's a couple weeks ago <laughs> recording our last episode with tony talkerman and they have some of those release rollers and yeah, they they have tons of information on them about the fish and I think this one was a rockfish one. And it, that's one thing I was thinking about because I'm looking at the length and they say the approximate weight that it should be in that range. And it, I mean, it's amazing the, what, what one extra inch will do yeah, to that fish because they grow so much slower at that point lengthwise and they can put on those pounds. It's it's crazy. And once you get up around over 48 inches or so, I mean, you've seen, I know you've, you've caught some big rockfish too. I mean, I've seen 48-inch rockfish that I think would go 60 pounds, and I've seen 48-inch rockfish that I think would go 30 pounds. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's just, it just depends. depends on the time of year, pre-spawn, post-spawn, and just what they're eating. But eventually they get up to the maximum length they're going to grow, and they put on pounds. Yeah. So what kind of uh, – how'd you catch that? Oh, uh, float and fly. It's my favorite method, man. I got one in my pocket. So here's the thing. You carry a float and fly in your pocket? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> I carry a float and fly in my he's got, pocket. He's got a 40-piece 40, 40 panfish rod in his, in his other pocket. <laughs> I carry a koozie in my back pocket and a float and fly in my front pocket. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I think you handed, me, you handed me one just like that. <laughs> you handed me one just like that. Your favorite little bobber yeah. f- float. And and a fly at a at a chapter meeting, and that's what I caught those those crappy. That's right. On. You went to Ottawa, Ottawa, Ottawa like two days yeah. later. So so the floats that Sean uses are after, <laughs> if you haven't seen one in person, they're they're not like anything you've seen. They're they're hard to find. They're not the Walmart bobber. In fact, I've been working with a so this used to be the Plastilite company, and, and Rebel Fin bought out Plastilite a while back, and I've been working with them trying to get them to reproduce this float, and uh, hopefully we'll get them to do it. But it's a three-quarter inch round float with a green cap. The green cap float has been around since the 1940s. And that design, is, it's called rod tip action. They put that green cap on there so you could reel it all the way up to your rod tip. And when you reel it up to your rod tip, that's what happens. It releases the back of it. So it works like a slip bobber that way. But it's just something about that, the action in that float. 
that's just incredible. It puts the right kind of action. When you think about it, a float and fly, all that is is a remote way of vertical jigging because you're casting that float out there and it, you're jigging it back, but you're really vertical jigging. And then you can, but you can jig it at whatever frequency you want it to be. And uh, it's, it's my fa favorite panfish technique. So one of the points that I made in, in my last book in Chesapeake Panfish is that there are so many legendary panfish families out there, people who have panfished all their lives. And almost all of us have a secret weapon. <laughs> you know? so, so is the secret weapon in the book? Yeah, my secret weapon That's is. That's the foot and fly. But I don't have everybody's secret weapon. And there's, there's, a few, a little, there's a few other ones in the in there. I've, I've read there it. is a little bit more in there, and there's a little bit more to it than that. But but the reason there are so many secret weapons out there is because they all work. Mm -hmm. And that's the glory of panfish, is that you don't have to have just one specific method. There's no one way to do it. Yeah. There's a whole lot of ways to do it. And uh, and people get good at it, and they have their secret weapons, and they all work. And then, and then that's. You I know. think that's one of the best things about fishing in general is you could take your own ideas mixed with five or six other fishermen, fisherwoman ideas, put it all together, and it still works to a yep. certain extent. Yep. Uh, well, and the cool part is watching a group of talented guys on on a boat or guys and gals, whatever, on a dock, a boat fishing together. Yeah. And watching all the different techniques kind of work, and a guy that'll outfish you next week is you're that's working right. his butt this week, right. and that's what's that's so right. much fun about it. Yeah. And, and that's why I like to fish. So there's, you know, there's I call them panfish royalty. There's people around who just concentrate on panfish, and I, I'm not going to name them because there's so many, and I'm sure I'd leave somebody out. But um, when I think about people that I've fished with before, I love to fish with those guys who just specialize in panfish because they're going to teach you something. You're going to learn something, and they're probably going to kick your butt with the way that they're fishing and because whatever they're doing is specialized to that particular body of water that they usually fish, and it's going to work, and it's amazing to watch it. And anytime you see that happen, you learn something, and then you can incorporate that into your own arsenal, and eventually you get, you know, it just makes you a better fisherman. So is there a time of year that the float and fly gets put away to, for something else on, on certain panfish? Uh, well, no. No. I, I fish it year-round. I mean, and I used to didn't because um, when I when I lived back in Tennessee, uh, it, it, we caught crappy in January, but not so much. Uh, it was like February, March. But now here in Maryland with the yellow perch uh, running so early and pickerel, I, I fish it year round. I mean, it's my it's one of my favorite lures when I'm fishing down in the Pocomoke or in Anacoke. Um, it's it's just it works it works wherever. There's a learning curve to it. Uh, uh, Phil Kirchner, who is one of the best pan fishermen I know, uh, has kicked my butt so many times with a tandem rig and with soft plastics, and a couple of times I kicked his butt with a float and fly, and. So he, he, he wanted, because of that, he wanted to learn how to float and fly fish. It took him a while to do it. Now he's got it. Man, he, he's got it down. So there's a little bit of learning curve, but mm -hmm. it's not that hard. It's yeah. panfish. Right. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's not that hard. <laughs> and, and once you get that, you get the frequency down, and the hard part is recognizing the strike because anything that changes in that float, 
I mean, so so you're jerking that float along a little bit at a time, and then anything that didn't look like the last the last pop of that float, that's a strike. It's more of an eyesight sight thing is. than, a, yeah, than a sensitivity feel thing. Sometimes you feel them, but most of the time it's eyesight. Yeah. Everybody starts with a bobber. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. A bobber and a minnow is staple. Yeah, I did it when I was a kid. Yep. In the canals over in Salisbury, downtown Salisbury, crappy. That's about you know some of the best crappy fishing I had when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, past that, I can't say I've done well, but over there it was bobber, shad dart with a minnow. Yeah. And you know, putting a fly on the end of it, it takes a little bit of. A little bit of finesse, and and I would say a little bit of um, it's a change in just letting your bobber sit out there with a you know give it a yeah. little twitch. It's you know? a little bit harder to learn how to cast because you've got you know obviously there's room between there's distance between the float and the fly, so you got to figure out how to cast that. Um, but once you figure that out, and then you figure out just how to you know adjust your frequency, adjust your depth. Because, like I said, it's just a way of uh, vertically jigging. So sometimes they're in four feet, sometimes they're in six feet, sometimes they're right on the bottom, sometimes they're four feet off the bottom. So you can, but that's what you can do with a float and fly. You can adjust it at any level you want to. What's the longest you can really have separation wise between the float and the fly before casting's like? Yeah, about the length of the highest you can reach your rod to your feet. So as tall as you are, plus your rod. No kidding. And that's hard. But yeah. you can you can cast it that way because you can lift that all the you can lift that rod all the way up over your head, and as long as the fly is not on the ground, you right. can cast it. Right. And so that's I mean for for me that'd be twelve feet. That's a mm-hmm. technique too yeah. of doing that because a lot of times when you get real long, it'll ra- it wraps around the bobber. Yeah. When yeah. you cast, there's a there's a little bit like I or said, the back a of your head, a little bit of shoulder, shoulder to it. Your, your buddy. Head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You hook yourself in the ass and back of the hat, you know. Hey. It's girlfriend. like that shirt you guys have. I was on the uh, Thunder Road shirt. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I was I was on the Upper Potomac uh, Father's Day weekend and fishing with some buddies and more drinking than fishing. And um, we went by this couple that were in a canoe and just having a great day. And the guy was fly fishing, and. I can't remember if my buddy said something to him or what, but we noticed a big old black streamer on the back, his shoulder, oh, no. his back left shoulder. And somebody <laughs> said something and he mentioned it. And he's like, I said, man, is that thing in the meat? He goes, nah, it's all good. And there's no barb on it, but it was just in his shirt. And I'm like, all right, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> Hooked myself a time or two, just like all of us. Yep. Man, so, my first experience that I remember floating fly fishing was I was fishing with my little brother. He's two years younger than me with my dad, crappy fishing. And we were fishing shallow in some uh, in some uh, willow trees and maybe three feet. And he reared back and threw it, and the fly caught me right in the upper lip. And he didn't realize I was caught, and he just like jerking on it, wham, 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 and pulling it on my lip. And the, and the thing went all the way through my lip. And, of course, my dad knew just what to do. He just clipped off the barb and backed it out. But when you're four years old, yeah. <laughs> you know. I didn't know you were a punk rocker. I thought yeah. you were more like a country yeah, bluegrass right. kind of yeah, guy. That's so. right. So I, I, could, I, I could actually put a ring through my lip right now because I'm sure that's still there. That hole's still there. <laughs> so uh, you were mentioning sensitivity and looking for changes in the float, the fly, the, what, whatnot. What are you, what are you looking at uh, – 
line wise and braid well, mono. light light as can be I, I think i gotta so i so for um for float and fly I usually use six pound test braid and then put a four pound test fluorocarbon leader on it uh that leads to the fly and then the float can be attached to the braid and i do the same thing when i'm um when i'm using a tandem rig with soft plastic so maybe a two sixteenth ounce uh jig heads with uh, soft plastics, small soft plastics, uh, at least smaller than a quarter inch. Uh, and so I'm still using six pound test braid, eight pound at the most, but you know, usually you want to use six pound test and then size down that leader. And that's a good rig to go with a spinning outfit anytime. If you use six pound test braid, you can always up your leader if you're pickerel fishing. Mm-hmm. So then you can put a 10-pound or 12-pound test leader on that 6-pound test braid, and you can catch the biggest pickerel in Chesapeake Bay on that outfit. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, you could even go down to 4-pound test if you wanted to and and still catch perch uh, or crappie. Yeah, and so you get that reel spooled up, and that braid lasts That's a long right. time. Yeah, yeah, you can get, you can get three hundred yards on a yeah. on the one thousand series reel easily. Yeah. I, I use four pound braid on mine, a six and a half foot rod. And if you don't have the light line, there's no way you're casting those smaller bobbers and those That's light right. jigs. Right. Yeah, to, you get to more where distance. you need to get to the fish. Sometimes I do doing a lot of bank fishing for perch. You get sometimes you got to get out or get to a piece of structure or a point or. And you're 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 confined to where you're fishing at on the bank. So having that extra castability, I've been out a few times, and guys like, how are you casting so far? Like four pound braid, and I use a six pound leader uh, fluorocarbon. So you're up upsizing your leader over yeah, your just braid. just a little bit. Yeah, I usually go the other way, six pound down to four, but that, it makes sense uh, either way. Yeah, I used I mean, to I use like I used to use four pound, but sometimes when you get lazy and don't retie, and you're catching perch you yeah. go to pull the fish out of the water and the line you know it breaks it always breaks right there i know at, yeah. the, knot. at the knot right now the exception exception to that is shad fishing so i used to use braided line when i shad fished until i fished with jay esker a few times on the potomac river and he kicked my butt so bad and i'm like after a while i'm making the same cast he is i'm throwing the same lures he is and he's catching a fish or two fish on every cast, and I'm not catching anything. I'm like, what are you doing different? He's using mono, mm-hmm. and and I'm using braid. And the reason the mono works better for shad is because shad are such um, – they strike a lure so quickly. They're just – it really hit it fast. And with braid, it bounces. The lure bounces away from the fish. But with mono, that stretch allows the fish to get hooked. Mm-hmm before uh, uh before you can set the hook and yeah. frankly it slows everything down and there's an advantage for it slowing everything down well it's same thing with and like a top water a lot of guys i know yeah, guys that like exactly. to throw mono or for something with some stretch yeah. any yeah striper bass you name it to give that little bit of stretch to it's like it's all it it, it fixes the reaction that you're doing yep. that's yeah. wrong it's instant when you see that blow up that you want to just yeah, jerk the rod. Yeah, man, mouth, yeah. I'm 58 years old, and still I see a striper blow up, a big striper it's blow up on the top water the, lure. It's the best thing in the world. I jerk it over the top of the boat. Well, you were talking, you were talking about um, little reactions in the float and fly. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I don't know, maybe from fly fishing a, a decent amount, I feel like you know there's no real hook set with a fly rod. 
I mean, with a trout, yeah. you might lift up high. Yeah. yeah. You know, but with with uh, you know catching a tarpon, you literally strip set. You you point the rod at the fish for the first couple and seconds, split seconds, pull yeah. the line, and it gives you this different kind of feel of the power of the rod coming in. And you kind of with a nine foot fly rod, you realize if you think about the physics of that how much you're going to move that fly or that lure, even if it's a spinning rod. Think yeah. about the physics of that. You're moving that lure so far through the water. I mean, we've all yanked a bait away from a fish. And I've learned just, you watch a lot of the bass guys who set the heck out of a hook, right? Right. But if you get that lean, and it's almost like a pivot in the hips rather than just a big old jerk. And some of these fish that are a little more sensitive biters, I think just a little bit of a turn to the wrist takes. and a little bit of, yeah. that rod is powerful. And, yeah. and folks, I think, overset the hook a lot of times. Wait for the wait. That's yeah. the rule, you know. Yeah. Wait till you feel the fish. And most time, you don't even have to set the hook. Yeah. Uh, I was fishing with a good buddy of mine a few weeks ago, and we were fishing the bridge. He locks the drag down and yanks them out of there when they hit, and that boy, I get to laughing at him because I'm, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you, rolling Martin or something? He goes, man, we're bridge fishing. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah, I got a buddy that does I, that, too. Well, and rockfish, I mean, they've got a, a plenty of... A, a strong mouth yeah but don't, don't they call cr- uh, crappy paper mouth that's right right uh, that's one of the nicknames for crappy is paper mouth yeah. you set a hook like that on crappy you're gonna lose specs it every are time the same way yeah trout weak yeah, fish specs yeah. are the same way weak yeah. fish yeah they have a weak mouth yeah. that's why they call them that yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yellow perch white perch they're pretty hard you can you can get away with a little bit yeah heavier mm-hmm. hook set right. on them if need be so adam a uh southern aa county boy what are you what are you doing for perch this time of year earlier in the year a little bit most of the time, I'm starting right by the boat ramp. If I'm on a boat, I don't go far. Show up the, early. Wait. The yeah. beauty R- of it. You right. don't have to. As soon as you go out in the morning, you know, they like they like the low light. Yeah. And any rock jetty, any pier, um, any any brush overhanging in the water. And I just start with a spinnerbait, like, a, like I said, a perch pounder, um, the beetle spins, twister tail, you know, and just cast into the bank along the riprap three foot of water two foot of water and then as the sun comes up move to if you if you have a dock that has overhang with with uh, a little bit of shade mm-hmm. they tend to be they tend to come back in that shade a little bit more um and then they're the same exact as rockfish if you if you don't have current you're not going to catch them yeah they'll shut right off we're also getting the channel cats so I fished the West River, the South River, um, come out of Chesapeake Beach, Holland Point, that area there, all those docks. They're all great. All that stuff's all great perch area. There's no, like, hot spot. Mm-hmm. You just work dock to dock to dock, rock jetty to rock jetty. Same with the bank. You don't have to have a boat. You could probably go down to any pier, like Sean said, and, and cast a spinner, a MEP spinner. And beetle spin, yeah, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, church spinners. Anybody that knows me well, and you know they'll laugh at me and make fun of me and all that stuff. But I love white perch, man. I I I love going out and catching white perch. I can stand on the bank for hours and catch white perch, Mm -hmm. and have just as much fun if I'm catching thirty inch rockfish. Actually, more fun. Yeah, you know, I love it. Well, and they're still a little bit deep too. Not not deep, but they're they're it's deeper than six seven feet. You know, and and they're we were talking about live hard bottom rockfish eating them so do you guys do any any like bottom fishing for them uh, with bait or any of that kind of stuff i do if i take the kids out yeah we'll, we'll bottom fish uh with fish bites blood worms yeah um 
find like a 10 foot, you know, hard bottom. One that's ringing a bell right now is um, in between West River and the South River there, mm-hmm. inside the number one can, mm-hmm. right? Pretty productive area. Yeah. Go out and if you hit them right, it's nonstop two at a time. And the kids will have an absolute ball. You can never go wrong with blood worms and white perch. Yeah. No. Well, that's because, remember that worm we were I was talking right. about falling yeah. out of that oyster <laughs> shell? I mean, that bottom is full of worms and little different yeah. critters that, that they eat. They love it. Plus, it calls them in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they might not be one for, you know, 100 yards. I think you drop a, red, a uh, blood worm in there, it brings them in. A little well, piece of fish bite. Yeah. Bloodworm fish bite on your, on your spinner or your, or your beetle spin or whatever artificial you're using. If, if you feel the, the bite's tough and you're only getting one perch, two perch, you know, sometimes that turns them on to where you'll pick them up every cast. Mm-hmm. You mean but, adding a fish bite? Yeah, just a little teeny piece, kind of like you do with the, um, the felt. The felt, yeah. So if you to put a little teeny piece on there, when that current starts to slow down, when the bite starts to slow, Mm-hmm. Put that on there. It's just, uh, you know, strike trigger. Yeah. Basically. Felt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know anything about felt. Talk, talk to me about I felt. I don't think we talked about that. Probably. So that's back to my family's secret weapon. So, I mean, I've I'm, I'm probably got some up here on the wall here in the shop. That, so, um, so for the first 15 years of my life, I thought crappy smelled like licorice. <laughs> and the reason I thought that is because my dad always tipped his flies with a little bitty tiny piece of felt dipped in oil of anise. And so, I'm and scanning the walls here in the garage, which is a difficult task because it's full <laughs> of so much stuff. Right, right at the top up there, oh, okay. right below Lefty Craze picture, you will see three vials <laughs> of anise oil. <laughs> so, so anise is you you can buy it in all the grocery stores, uh, the finer grocery stores. <laughs> the, I should say the crappie yeah, right, grocery stores, right? Yeah, for you crappie fishermen out there, and and uh, it's. Uh, it's what they use to flavor candy to make it mm-hmm. taste like licorice. Mm-hmm. Fish love it. It's a known fish attractant. You can read some of the earliest field and stream magazines back in the 1920s and 1930s. They're talking about anise oil. Huh. It's, uh, it's an amazing fish attractant. and That's from the star anise, right? Yeah, it comes from star anise. They, yeah. I don't know how they get it out. They yeah. extract it some way. Yeah. And they make an oil out of it. So, you know, I told you that floating fly is my favorite lure. So those flies are made out of chicken feathers. Well, bird feathers are made to shed oil. Mm -hmm. So you can't dip just a fly in anise oil and expect it to stay on there. It won't. It sheds right off. But if you put a little bitty piece of felt, and I just go to Michael's or Walmart or wherever they sell, you know, back in the, uh, the place where they sell fabric, they have felt sheets, and I buy red and chartreuse and orange and white, and cut it up in little bitty tiny pieces, smaller than your than like a quarter of your fingernail, and I tip those one thirty second inch flies. I mean one thirty second ounce flies with that anise oil felt, and the fish just love it. Hmm. It works for yellow perch. It works for white perch. God, it works for crappy. And I've been doing this for a while. I've been fishing for, you know, 58 years. And for the last 
15 years here on the Chesapeake, I've been introducing this to people who have never seen it before. They're all using it now. Hmm. I mean, everybody I know who I've ever I showed a big it to. Bottle of, I showed it to you that day we were yeah. pickerel fishing. It, yeah. I, it was on the lure when I was when we were pickerel fishing. Well, I'm glad there's a Whole Foods near my house because right. I think that's the right kind of grocery it, store, it's right? In, it's yeah. just a fish attractant that just works that panfish love, and you know, yeah, it, it, yeah, the the purest, the fly fishermen and stuff like I'm never going to put any kind of scent on my lure. Well, fine, dude, I'm going to put it on mine because I'm <laughs> yeah, going to catch fish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you wonder, have you I'm ever tried like, catch. have you yeah. tried like garlic dips or anything like that, like spike it or anything? Those? I have tried it, and yeah. I, I, you know, I think when the fish are on, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's when they're not really, uh, yeah. they're not really inclined to bite. That's yeah. when it matters, yeah. and that's when it makes a difference. And, uh, I mean, after I, I put that method in my last book and I, I've got a whole stack of emails from people who are saying, I, I never tried that before. I've tried it and it's completely revolutionized my fishing. And I'm catching a whole lot more now hmm. once I did that. Yeah, I mean, that's, anything you can do to give yourself an advantage when you go out. Yeah. You and, and, and you know what? That advantage might just be in your head. I don't Amen. know if it's. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's that philosophical Conf- thing you got to think about. Yeah. yeah, it's confidence. It's like, it, does it really matter, or is it just in my head? But whatever it is, I'm catching more fish. Yep. And that's, <laughs> like the, that's like the old uh, color debate. Yeah. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you what. I was fishing down in Texas a couple months ago and um, fishing a flat, and I was given a lure, jig head plastic, and it was like, fish with this. This is what you want to use. It's the it's the go to thing, and I'm looking at it going, that ain't gonna catch anything. It's the wrong color. <laughs> this water quality, you know, whatever. I'm an expert all of a sudden, just like every fisherman. We know right. what's best, and it took all day, <laughs> and a spot that was not good conditions by local standards. It was clear water. They wanted something dirty, and we're looking for trout and, and redfish and maybe a flounder. And in three casts, I caught a trout, a black drum, which is a drum. To, to a Texan, yeah, right, and a and a flounder, and, and with that lore, yeah, with that exact lore, three casts in a row, no kidding, in the exact same spot, which in in crystal clear water, which was still right. not the right water. I mean, you would have thought if I, if you made me close my eyes and you know if I didn't know where I was, you know, kidnapped and thrown out on this flat, I would have said, I, I don't know, Bahamas. It was crazy, you know, Texas Gulf Coast, and uh, but it was cool and it was neat to. I finally had confidence in that lore because for the previous three hours I did not, and then I kept catching fish throughout the afternoon. And it, you know, it's we get in our own heads for sure. Oh yeah, you know, there's stuff that's <laughs> big part. Of there's it. a science behind it, maybe, and there's stuff that just yeah. makes you happy, makes you content. When it all clicks. It's it's good. Yeah, yeah, but, and you know, but over time, you tend to refine your techniques, and maybe it's a good technique for everybody, or maybe it's just a good technique for you. Yep. And maybe it's just the way you fish. Maybe it's just the way I fish that works yep. for me. But I know that works for me, and that's what I'm going to go to because that's my go-to technique. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes people, it works for other people. Maybe sometimes it doesn't. And that's what it's all about, developing your own style. And once you do, you know, then you, you have confidence in it. And I'm confident in my float and fly technique. I'm going out to Park City, Utah uh, in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to trout fish. And... Um, there's some reservoirs up there. I'll I'll do some fly fishing uh, with uh, nymphs and and with dry flies. But 
when I hit those reservoirs, you know what I'm going to be throwing? Mm-hmm. I'm throwing a float and fly, mm-hmm. man. Same thing I'm throwing right here on the Chesapeake because I know that will catch fish. No matter where in the world I am, I know that's going to catch fish. It's one of the, uh, you said trout. It's kind of like the, one of the principles with the strike indicator. Oh, yeah. It's right? a bobber. It's the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same thing with the popping cork. That's right. You know? It is. Same concept. And so... Yeah, that's another. Uh, maybe I'm giving away too much, but that's another top secret pickerel technique. So, pickerel attracted to um, uh, disturbance on the surface. So sometimes I'll use those same little floats and I'll hang two really light, like a sixty-fourth ounce fly beneath them. So I think in Maryland you can only use two flies at a time. You can't use like a sabiki rig, but you can use two flies. So I'll hang two flies beneath it and just really rip the sh- rip the crap out of that <laughs> out of that float. And and you wanted to make a disturbance on the surface. And at one time I caught fourteen pickerel, like within thirty minutes, <laughs> back to back just because they were keying in on the float. And one and and one of those pickerel actually hit the float, bit the float, and held on to it until I reeled the fly up to the float and then the fly hung him in the jaw. <laughs> and happened when I was fishing. And I with still you caught Phil. the fish. One of, I can't remember if it was you or Phil when we went over pickerel fishing, but pickerel hit the float. That yeah, day. they do. They'll hit it. Yeah, they're attracted to it. Aggressive. Yeah, it, and that's the same popping cord concept for mm-hmm. for uh, red drum or trout or whatever. I was talking to some guys recently about snakeheads, and uh, they were all about the popping cord. Oh, really? Which, which, I haven't heard about it for Yeah, it makes heads. sense. And yeah, it does make sense. I'll tell you what, you know, the snakehead thing is definitely an ecological challenge here. No yeah. question about it. Um, yeah. Of course, episode two, we talked about snakeheads a lot, and it's great to... to the, if you want to look at the bright side, there's a fishery where you can go out there and catch them. There's no conservation yeah. piece of it right catching and keeping them is a good thing uh um, as yeah. they continue to spread but uh but it's neat to see these guys that are really talented and been fishing for them a lot longer than we realize i think i mean oh, social yeah, media been doing. the fishing techniques and stuff five or quickly. six years now they've oh, many had years. time to refine their techniques oh yeah well what's utterly amazing is how much pressure they're taking and just it seems like there's an endless supply, and especially in Blackwater, well, they and, grow so fast. Oh yeah, and they reproduce so many. You've seen those bait balls? Yeah, there's like a thousand fry. It's incredible in one see. bait yeah. ball. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I think I don't remember if we talked about it on the last the one podcast or not, but uh, you know that those parents are there protecting the bait ball, and mm-hmm. probably one of the best things you can do is remove them from that bait ball. You yeah, know, that's if you can. Yeah, if you can, and <laughs> if you can catch them, if they're going to come off and eat something you're throwing at them, those those little little fry may become largemouth food or something. Oh, hopefully, that's right. you know. And yeah, they're definitely spreading out. I got a call uh, last week, I think, an invite to fish a Western Shore River, and I was very surprised to hear some of the numbers that these guys were putting up really? on them. So, still haven't caught one, but yeah, it won't be long. I had a nice one once. Max dropped it back in the water for we could get a picture. Ace. Pretty disappointed. I've mm. caught four or five, but I don't want to admit it yet. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> but uh, they were all small, and Man. so I'm like, I'm going to wait. And, uh, count know, yet. Maybe I catch a 10-pounder. I'll say, oh, here's my first snakehead. I'll fish for anything. I, I, I just love fishing. Tug I, I don't, is the drug. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't care what the hell it is. <laughs> if you yeah. tell me it's swimming in that water, I'm going to figure try to figure out some way to get it to eat. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so when do uh, with the like the bluegills, the sunnies? When does that slow down? If they're well, it doesn't slow down in the summer. But what what makes it difficult is that the lakes grow up with algae mm-hmm. and with grass and weeds, and so it makes it harder and harder to catch them this time of year. Uh, so it's slowing down right now. What is this? This is the second week in July. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this is the time of year that it slows down. If you can find a clear pond or a clear creek, you can still catch them. You can catch them all summer long. Yeah, because they've been on their beds. Right, they're off up. the beds. Most yeah. of the time, I mean, there might be a few still on the beds. Yeah. Uh, but most of, most of them are off the beds right now. Uh, but but here's the thing is that bluegill actually stay around the beds even after they've spawned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can find an area where there's a lot of beds, and you can see the beds down in the water. If it's clear water, you can see them down there. They look like craters, Yeah, craters on the moon. Well, it seems like the, like the grasses and algae and stuff almost get like displaced by the bed initially. Yeah, they, they do. may fill in eventually. They do. But yeah, yeah, eventually it fills in, and yeah. it's starting to fill in now in all yeah. the creeks and the ponds. Yeah. Uh, and so it's harder and harder to catch them right now. Yeah. I mean, there are places you can still catch them, but for most of the places I catch, they're growing up a little bit too hard, Yeah, uh, too much right now. So we earlier, uh, you mentioned Joe Yak, a, a great friend of many in Maryland and a great angler who we lost earlier uh, this year, and there happens to be a box on the wall. Yeah. It says Joe Yak on it. It now does, I, this, yeah. Now, I, I'm sure there are some secret... Panfish there is in there, right? There is, there is. There's a box over there that Joe made for me, and <clears> I, I haven't ever cracked it. I've never opened it. I'm not going to use them. <laughs> I yeah. might use them sometime. Yeah. I, and 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 if I do, you know, that's I'm, I'm sure that Joe would appreciate it. I did a talk up in Frederick, Maryland last night, and I mean Lefty Cray was from Frederick, and Joe was you know Joe was very well known up there and uh, I dedicated that talk to Joe and you know it's how long has it been it's probably four or five months since he passed yep just a great pan fisherman absolutely he, he was good he at helped any me kind out of Sean I'd yeah of course phone call away he could pick his right. pick his brain and have yeah, awesome to fish with I got that guy was something special man well and the the cool part about fishing is. Being for me, being fortunate enough to work in the industry, meet all these different folks, you realize very quickly how different we all are, yeah. but what we all have in common, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you take a, the, some of these fisheries. Um, we talked about bank fishing all night. You just need to get to a spot, hop out, and walk. Right. And there's a lot of public land, a lot of state parks, a lot of reservoirs that you have access to, and that's what's so great about fishing. You, Anybody can become an angler tomorrow by picking up a, a cheap combo, some very cheap tackle, especially with these, these right. panfish species, and yeah. going fishing right there. And, it make, and they're, they're now part of, part of the, you know, the, the group. They're all anglers. And um, you know Joe's tackle techniques and stuff, he gave a talk at one of our chapter meetings and talking about you know how many guys have been out fishing for rockfish or bluefish or whatever and you're going through all these soft plastics that are so popular the bkds the bustums the, you name it and you end up with all these beat up little plastic lures that get torn off the jig head or whatever <laughs> and you get the tails sitting around uh, right? i know where you're going with i this. will yeah. never forget joe <laughs> passing around these cool little flies and yeah. you know the fly fishing world um is funny because everybody's very particular about their flies and they're all perfect little works of art sometimes joe would make these flies that were they look great to me, 
and then super glue these rubber tails on the ends of them. They're what do you call them? Perch pounders or perch? Yeah, perch. perch that's what you call them. Perch, perch pounders or something. Yeah. You know, names for all these different things. Down to literally taking you know uh, what little lead jigs and pounding them out to make lead spoons yeah. out of them. Yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> Macwackers. Macwackers. You know, perch and it's pounders. just that's what's so cool to me about all the people I get to meet working at CCA and. And how creative everybody is to have their own family techniques like felt and yeah. star anise or anise He was oil catching 30-inch rockfish on my boat a few years ago with Barbie doll hair. Barbie doll hair. <laughs> no well, kidding. I hadn't heard about that and one. A, and a fly. <laughs> he made a fly, and he's catching these fish, and you know, we're having a ball. And he says, Adam, you know what this is? I'm like... It's a fly you made. He goes, yeah. He goes, but it's Barbie doll hair. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yep. That might be a pretty expensive fly after a while. Right? <laughs> after so many Barbie dolls, you know, there's only so many flies you can make. <laughs> I got to say, but that I, doesn't surprise me. He probably had Barbie dolls laying around the house and made flies out of them. Missing hair. Yeah, missing hair. He got them somewhere, laying on, you know, the yard, a yard sale, sale or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, you know those, like, freaky little uh, roll eyes that, like, some of those dolls have? Yeah. Maybe it's, like, the next... Uh, yeah right. <laughs> the next magical eye we're gonna put on a lure somehow. He sh- he was an innovator. He I mean he made some good fish catching lures for yeah. you know not very much money and the stuff laying around and, and they caught fish. Well, and he was the first person to grab a handful of the stuff he had and hand it to you, right? And say here it, you yep. go. This is what I made. You go fishing with it. Yep. You know that's just so cool. <laughs> I I, uh, I got a lot of his stuff hanging up that I don't know if I'll ever be able to use or not, but got it. Probably about a dozen lures. Um, probably about a few weeks before he passed, and uh, he's going, man, go and catch the hell out of fish with these things, you know? It, it, stuff that he tied, it, uh, flies, and just yeah. pop top water poppers that he put trailers on, and new hooks and split rings, and some of the stuff he he made is just really badass. I mean, there's no mad way scientist. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, good deal. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I think uh, we've had a great conversation tonight in, in Sean's shop. Yeah, and, uh, it was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you here. And, and uh, we had a great chapter meeting tonight. And remember, at uh, CCA, all are welcome to any single chapter meeting, any single event. There is no private anything with us. And uh, all are welcome to be a member, as we just talked about. We're all welcome to the fishing community. It's as simple as buying a license, stopping by a local tackle shop, getting some gear, and, and heading out to the water. And that's what CCA is all about. Member or not, come on out, learn what we do. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice and, uh, and, and represent as many folks as possible in, in conservation because, you know, I talked about it tonight at the chapter meeting. No matter what you do to get involved in fishing, in some way, you're actually financially supporting conservation efforts that are happening throughout our country. There are 49 million anglers in the country. Now, the majority of them are freshwater because it is so accessible and so much of our country is is, uh, off the coast. Um, 49 million, that's more than any other single state. If you put us all together, the biggest would be the most populated state. Um, More than than golf and tennis, I think, combined. It's one of the stats I saw recently. Well, good. You know, as it should be. Not hockey, I mean soccer. <laughs> no, and, and I think it's that it's that thing that connects us all together. Young, old, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Um, and these pan fish, these fish that are 
are, are great breaded in something and dropped into some oil. I mean, that's another piece of the that's puzzle right. here. <laughs> Man, it, it, it's hard to release some of these critters. Um, I, I look forward to that first perch fry every year. Oh, yeah. Oh, me too. Coming out of winter, and it's like, yeah, it gets me going for just when you start catching a white perch. Yeah, it's a big motivator. It's, I love I love eating them too. White perch, my favorite eating fish on the Chesapeake. Yeah. Absolutely, Easily. I could fix a giant plate of uh, rockfish, like nuggets, and then have a plate of white perch. No comparison. And, and the kids <laughs> no. and the family and the wife, it's, the white perch is gone. I got the rockfish for lunch the next day. You know. Yep. Yep. And they, they love it, man. I, yeah. Me too. It's yeah, the uh, fish. And, and especially get the kids out there, get them fishing for, for perch for anything and, and have a good yeah. time. And um, actually, uh, talking about shopping local and, and good events and stuff coming up, um, if you haven't seen it yet, Anglers, an absolute staple in the fishing community in Maryland and right there in, uh, in Arnold, um, on the way, right on Route 50, Angler Sports Center. On Sunday, August 18th, they have the White Perch open. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. That's a great event. Um, you can check it out at their website, anglersportcenter.com. I know CCA is going to be involved in that this year again. I'm fishing it this year. I wanted to fish it last year, and I was out of town. Uh-oh. But this year, Everybody's I'm in trouble it. now. There you go. No, no, man. Float and fly. We're all equal. <laughs> no, we are. We are. Bring it. Bring those family traditions, as Absolutely. Hank Jr. would say. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna uh, get some volunteers out there as well. So anybody that's listening before that date, Love to have you give us a shout. Um, information at ccamd.org is probably the easiest email to get a hold of us, and or just stop by Anglers and ask uh, what what you can do to help out. Um, you know, uh, Charlie and his team there at Anglers are just great folks. that have been there a long time yes, with great traditions, are. and uh, they had that great event to catch some perch. And heck, you can stop at any tackle shop throughout the state, uh, throughout the country, and, and find the right kind of gear you need to get out and catch these kind of fish. And we, uh, again, all too often forget about them because of the mighty rockfish that grows to 50 inches and, you know, all those yeah. big sizes. But these little fish uh, matched up with the right tackles are really good. So time. much more out there to do in the bay than there just is. rockfish. There is. We're lucky to have what we have in Maryland, and so get on out there and enjoy it. Perfect. Cut. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>